Kiora. Now that's the uh, New Zealand equivalent to Godai. I thought it was a sad day for the Kiwis. Uh, they lost to the Springboks 11 to 12. But then I was just looking at the big picture and the overall picture is that uh, the All Blacks have won 63 times to Springboks 39 times. And I find consolation in that, the big picture. Anyway, let's, uh, before we continue with uh, this look at the book of Genesis on the character of Jacob, let's uh, just uh, pray. Our hand, Father, as we come before you again, Lord, we acknowledge you are the great God, the good God, the creator of the universe. And Father, I just want to thank you that you have called us, and Lord, we worship you and we praise you. So Father, even as we come, Lord, and sit at your feet, Lord, may we just uh, understand what you have called us to. Lord, again, as we uh, are in your presence, Lord, may we have a keen sense of that, that your goodness is around us. So be with us this time, Lord, as we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we have been um, looking at the account of uh, how the creator of the heaven and earth proactively chose and called Abraham to start his plan of redemption. And we see that Jesus later accomplished this on the cross at Calvary. Now we say that people wonder why that God should choose to reveal himself to this particular group of people, the Jews. What's so special about them? Why should they be the chosen people and not us? Now the answer to those questions uh, lies in the foreign choice of God. It is his prerogative to do so. You know, one thing is very clear. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob had no claim on that relationship with God. In fact, Abraham didn't even know about the Lord before the calling. It was not that Abraham had chosen God, but God had chosen Abraham. God freely initiated the relationship with Abraham and his people. Now, you know, in those days, it's uh, normally the elder son who will receive the inheritance. Now yet, we see that in each generation, God did not choose the elder son, but the younger one. God chose us Isaac, not Ishmael. He chose us Jacob, um, not Esau. It is as if God is saying that nobody has any claim on whom he chooses to bestow his love. So it's not a question of intelligence, it's not a question of cleverness, of giftedness, or the hereditary right of the eldest son. Isaac and Jacob were not the firstborn. God, it was God who bequeathed um, the inheritance to them. Now they were not chosen because they boast a natural claim to be chosen. But what is alarming is that why these people were even considered chosen, they, uh, they displayed some moral failings. There were no saints, yet they were considered and chosen. 
you know, the Bible points out that all three of them were liars. Abraham lied to Pharaoh about Sarah being his sister so that he could save his own skin. And then he lied again to Abimelech about the same thing. And Isaac seems to have picked up this uh, trait from his father and he lied about his wife Rebekah to save his own skin. And then there is Jacob. He was the worst of the three. Now fancy having Jacob as your first cousin. You will be absolutely paranoid and scared Steve what, when he comes around. You know, when he pops over, you wonder what's going to happen to your money and anything else that you may have on you. See, Jacob's name means a cheater, a schemer, a deceiver. And he lives up to that name. Jacob exploited his brother in his moment of weaknesses and to sell his birthright for some, for some porridge. And he conspired with his mother to deceive his father's blessings through deception. And he schemed and enriched himself from his father-in-law's animals. And he was schemed while praying uh, when he was preparing to meet his brother Esau, whom he has cheated of his birthright blessings. Jacob only knew how to look out for himself. His whole life was about receiving blessings from God. Jacob wanted to inherit everything that God had promised his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac. And there was no sign that he wanted God. There was no reaching out for God but only grabbing for God's blessings. Now here we have a picture of some very ordinary men who had their weaknesses and some very glaring ones too. Now God chose them and called them not because they have a natural claim on him or their moral standing separates them uh, from the rest of the people. It was all God's prerogative that they were chosen. It was God's sovereign choice. But the one thing that marked them out is a very simple thing called faith. Now these men, in spite of all their weaknesses and failures and the mixtures of good and bad, they shined as men who believed in God. God called them and they believed in Him and all His promises. You know, these men believed in God and God could do wonders when a man uh, uh, believes. And He would do with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob what he had never did before his calling came to them. God would rather have a believing man than a good man. And God says so to Abraham's faith. 
he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And the Lord Jesus said to the Jews, your father rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Now that's to say Abraham was longing for the day that this righteousness was credited to him uh, will be revealed. Now we see that his faith was uh, his uh, faith in action again when he offered to sacrifice his son Isaac. And he was thoroughly convinced that God would keep his promise that descendants would come through Isaac. Now Abraham believes that even if he killed his son, God would raise Isaac from the dead. And he saw the day of Christ's birth in the miraculous uh, birth of Isaac. And then on the Mount of uh, Moriah, which later became Golgotha or Calvary, when Isaac willingly put himself on the altar, Abraham saw the day of Christ's death and resurrection. You know, Isaac uh, had shown exceptional faith when he submitted to be sacrificed. You know, he could have been refused to off, be offered as a sacrifice. That's what they said about living sacrifices on the altar. They keep running away. But he was a strong young man in his 30s who could have easily overcome his father uh, who was in his 130s. Now when we come to Jacob, he lived a very eventful life. And in his old age, when he, uh, he was blessing his sons, he spoke to God as his shepherd throughout his life. And he says, may the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walk faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. The thing is, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all showed their faith in one extraordinary way. They all, they, each one of them, left to his son what he didn't possess. God had promised Abraham and his descendants that he would possess the whole land of Canaan. And that is from the river Egypt to the river of Euphrates. It is a very large area encompassing uh, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, and parts of uh, Iraq and Egypt. Huge area. Now when Abraham was ready to pass on his inheritance, he said to Isaac, Isaac, I'm leaving the whole land to you. And Isaac said to Jacob, I'm leaving the whole land to you, my boy. And Jacob said to his 12 sons, I'm the whole land I have, I live in my will to you all. Isn't that amazing? To write a will, leaving the whole land to your offsprings when you have not even possessed it. But they believe that God has given it to them. And that one day, the whole of those land would be theirs. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. You know, when uh, Isaac 
thought he was going to die, he asked Esau to prepare his favorite food before he will bless him with the inheritance. Now when uh, Rebekah got wind of that, uh, she plotted with Jacob and deceived Isaac. And they succeeded. Now Jacob um, had to run away from a very angry um, brother to, uh, and arrived to this place called Bethel, which means the house of God. Now this, this has been uh, where Abraham made his first sacrifices to God when he entered into the land of Canaan. Apparently Jacob did not recognize that as a holy sanctuary. He saw it only as a place where he would rest and sleep. That night, Jacob had a personal encounter with the Lord. He had a dream. Now the dream showed the angels were ascending and descending up the ladder. They were going up and down the ladder with God standing above it. And it gives us the idea that Jacob had access to God. Now in the dream, the Lord confirmed the Abrahamic um, covenant to Jacob. And the same God who cared for his father and, uh, and grandfather pledged to care for him too. And reaffirmed to give him all the land that he has promised Abraham. And he will also multiply his descendants and use them to bring blessings to the world. Now when Jacob woke from his sleep, his first response was one of fear and surprise. And then his very next act was to worship God who had appeared to him. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. Now the Lord promised uh, to be present with Jacob in whatever circumstances just uh, lie ahead of him. And since God has committed himself to Jacob and, and will carry out all his promises, then Jacob will say to reason, well, because you have blessed me and all these things, I will follow you. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, is now also the God of Jacob. Which is quite something, don't you think? Abraham was quite an extraordinary guy. He has exceptional faith, giving up for the known, for the unknown, for the seen, for the unseen. And he had quite a bit of uh, interaction with God too. Don't you think that it's amazing that the creator of the universe, the possessor of heaven and earth, called Abraham his friend? Extraordinary. Now when you put next, him next to his son, Isaac seems so uh, ordinary when compared with Abraham. Now except for the incident at Mount Moriah where he was to be sacrificed, he lived pretty much a, a very much a mundane and an uneventful life just looking after their livestock. 
It was so smooth flowing for Isaac that even had his wife chosen for him, he didn't, without going through the hassles of all those dates. He did not seem to uh, have done much. Basically, he just inherited everything from Abraham, from the father. Everything was just handed out to him on a platter. And in that sense, Isaac was very ordinary, unexceptional. But when you come to Jacob, with all his wheeling and dealings and scheming and checkered past, how is it that a holy God would still accept such a wayward guy to become his God? You know, the thing is, the Lord is the God for Abraham, for the extraordinary. The Lord is a God for Isaac, for the ordinary. And now the Lord is God for Jacob, for the wayward. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob is a God for everyone. For the extraordinary, for the ordinary, and even for the wayward. It's for everyone. You know, Jacob uh, shows us uh, the blessings uh, that he received from his personal relationship with God. But then blessing is not merely just getting things from God. It's more than that. It is experiencing the presence of God. Now Jacob's very response uh, the next morning was honoring and worshiping God. And that night when Jacob laid on the pillow, he crosses from the standard to the spectacular. From the unseen to the seen, where the host of angels were going up and down the ladder and the Lord was above the ladder. You know, I think each Sunday, similarly, when we come to Freeway Baptist Church, we cross from the threshold of the secular to the sacred, from the common to the uncommon. And we come as we cross those, as he said, those gates to heaven. We come from the standard to the spectacular, from the profane to the holy. And this is what it means when we come each Sunday as we come to those doors. It's to the other place as we worship God. You know, Jacob then went to, to, uh, to, to Haran and um, where his uncle lived. Now here he met his match uh, in Laban where he was, he was tricked, he was deceived. And he had to work uh, twice the amount of uh, of time before Rachel was given to him in marriage. Now then again, he didn't keep Jacob down. As long after that, he again to enrich himself through Laban's uh, livestock. Now after uh, making peace with uh, his father-in-law, um, he broke camp and arrived at Jabrook, the place where he would later meet his brother Esau. Now he has not met um, his brother uh, for a good 20 over years. And now he is just filled with fear. 
you know, often God is called upon, you know, in, in such times of crisis and difficulties. And he cried out to God and he prayed to God. And on the eve of the meeting, he was on his own in a place called Penel, which means the face of God. A man, spelled with a capital M, came and wrestled with him. Now, some believe that the man who wrestled with Jacob uh, was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Others thought that he was an angel of God. But in any case, Jacob wrestled with the manifestation of God. I think if you look at it, the irony is just not lost over here. On the, on the eve of meeting Esau, you know, Jacob once clung on to his brother's heel. And now, he's going to cling on to God. Jacob has struggled all his life. He has been wrestling all his life. Trying one scheme after another to make his way and to, to get as much out of it whenever possible. And now, God wrestled with Jacob. He wrestled with Jacob in order to subdue him, in order to strip him of his strength and to pin him down and so that he could not struggle any longer. And the message to, I, to uh, Jacob was clear. Let go. Let God take over. You know, this wrestling uh, match that God had with uh, Jacob continued right through the night. But it did not prevail, but God could not prevail over him. Jacob was very strong indeed. Now, God could have, uh, uh, could not turn Jacob away from the struggle, even though he could have easily uh, defeated Jacob. Now, it's not a good idea to uh, be wrestling with the Lord. He touched Jacob's hip and pulled it out of joint. And where we said it was wrenched out. Ouch. Yet he would not give up. He would not uh, release the man until he received the blessing. Jacob just struggled to gain God's blessing. Now with the blessing one, it was a dawn of a new day for Jacob. The wrestling match experience had a spiritual impact on his life. Jacob was now given a new name to mark his inner transformation. His character had changed. Jacob the heel catcher, the deceiver, became Israel. The one who struggles with God and overcomes. Next, he had a new walk. This experience with God physically changed him. He now walked with a limp. Jacob's strength was in his limp. It was a constant reminder that God had conquered him and he could trust in God to see him through thick. Or thin. 
And then he had a new relationship with God. He changes from being someone who was scheming and manipulative and struggled to get things into a person whose identity flows out of submission and surrender to God. He became a vessel fit for the master's use. Now, when we look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's journey of faith, we see that they have different spiritual experiences. In Abraham, it shows us that everything is of God. He's the Father. He's the Sovereign God. He's the Creator. He's the Originator. He's the uh, instig uh, instigator of everything. And we, we cannot do anything by ourselves. And everything depends on God. Next in Isaac, it shows that everything comes from God. And our place is just to receive it. That's to say our salvation is received. Our justification is to be received. Sanctification is received. Forgiveness is received. And our freedom is received. The experience of Isaac is one of receiving. We don't have to do anything in, salvation, in our salvation. We just receive it. And we rest in Christ. Then in Jacob... It shows that the Lord will come to us, will touch us, and wrestle with us, and twist the hollow of our tie. Jacob could not become Israel in an instance. Now there was a process. It was the Lord's action, his overt action on Jacob that brought about the transformation in his life. There was, as if, the discipline of the Holy Spirit that brought about this reformation. No, initially, Jacob has seen his relationship to God in terms of personal benefits, and we often do that. Many will accept Christ as a benefit to be enjoyed, rather than as a commitment uh, of uh, as committing to God in, for their lives. You know how often is it? Well, I've receive Jesus as my Savior, I've got my ticket to heaven, and that's it. I can just go on and living as what I used to do. There are things that we rather not give up. You know, every one of us Christians has his or her own particular a strong spot that we will not submit and surrender over. You know, some could be stubbornness. Some could be uh, things that just trigger us to be, uh, and cause us to be angry. Or it could be fear. Or it could be just uh, uh, insecurity. You know, and Paul writes uh, that prior to the days uh, of his coming, you know, he gives us a whole list of our default mood. And he was writing it not to addressing to those, the people that's uh, around us, but to the church itself. And it says that there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. 
having a form of godliness but denying his power. You know, I cannot tell you where your natural disposition is lodged, but I can say that every one of us have his own particular spot. And there are more actually that's even not listed by, by Paul. And basically, this nature has just become uh, the directing principles in our lives. You know, sometimes God, for Him to have our hearts, it requires the divine touch of whatever that keeps us away from Him. Ordinarily, you may not notice it, but God provides many opportunities in which the, this disposition of ours has been exposed once, twice, ten times, or umpteen times. And many may have um, repeatedly experienced God's discipline, but that particular spot has never been dealt with in a thorough way. Perhaps God has been wrestling with one of us for ten, five years, ten years, and has not prevailed. And God cannot prevail over us when we do not trust Him. We do not let go and let God take over. You know, there's always a nerve center in the life within which is the strong power that is hidden that, that controls us. Now, we can uh, resist and stubbornly prevail in our disposition and waywardness, or we can take hold of the Lord and let Him do His transforming work in our lives through the discipline of the Holy Spirit. To have Jacob's heart, God had to dislocate his hips. Jacob did not come out from his struggles unscarred, but rather he emerged from them drawn deeper and closer to God. The Hebrew writer tells us, he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And here we see our Heavenly Father says he will take us through all kinds of disciplines so that we may partake of his holiness. Be holy, be ye holy, for I am holy. You know, yet, when um, we receive uh, submissively, discipline is beneficial. We then partake of not only His holiness, and which brings forth a peaceful fruit of righteousness. You see, in this process, He is forming Christ into our being to be our character. It's not that uh, not only we need Christ to be in our life, we need Christ to be formed in us day by day, each step of time. It's not enough just to be in Christ. It's important that Christ is in us and we see him, his life being expected through us each day. 
Now the resting encounter does not mean that Jacob had become perfect. But it does signify the turning point in his life. And Penel uh, signifies God's beginning. And we see that he had quite a bit of fine-tuning along the way. Like when his daughter was abused and how the sons reacted to it. And then when, uh, when Joseph was, uh, was lost. But then the way he went about with him, it was a different Jacob. It was Israel in action. Now the history of Jacob shows that he not only knew God, he also acquired a new character. In the beginning, Jacob was crafty, he was deceitful, yet in the end, he was transformed into a wonderful uh, person and useful in the hands of God. Now if we compare um, Jacob with Abraham and Isaac, we may say that Jacob's ending was better than that of Abraham, and even much better than that of Isaac. You know, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we must know the God of Abraham. We must know that all things are of God the Father. We must know the God of Isaac. We must know that everything is given to us by him. And in Christ we rest receiving it. And we must also know the God of Jacob. We must know that God deals with our life until Christ is formed in us through the Holy Spirit. And may the Lord just bless us and may He just lead us to a fuller and deeper understanding and knowledge of the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob in our journey of faith. So that as we go along the way, we'll be fit vessels for the Master's use. Let's pray. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Father, we just come down before you, Lord. So much to be thankful that you've just called us to you. Father, we just thank you that we do not have to do anything, but everything is just given to us, and we just have to receive it in faith and to rest in all your promises. And Lord, even as we go through life, Lord, as we fine-tune us and as you, Christ is forming us, Father, we just pray for us gentleness, Lord, as you touch our life, as we conform to your image, as we conform to your touch. So Father, in the days ahead, Lord, we took to an exciting time of this journey of faith that you have called us. And Lord, we know that this life that you call us to is a life of abundance. It's a life that we can live to the full. And Father, we just thank you that we have a God who strengthens us, who gives us all the resources, and guide us and direct us in our journey. Father, we just want to thank you and give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.